The day is coming when people will sing. Give thanks to the Lord. Call for him to help you. Tell all the nations what he has done. Tell him how great he is. Sing to the Lord because of the great things he has done. Let the whole world hear the news. And that's what Isaiah proclaimed to us all those years ago. What we want to do this morning to proclaim to God how good he is and how, how we are going to tell the world what God has done. And we just open our service with the colic for this morning. Let's hope. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us true religion. Nourish us with all goodness and of your great mercy. Keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, I want to invite Susan to come forward and bring us God's word today. Today's reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so we continue um, through the book of Romans, as we've seen uh, from our reading this morning in these um, summer Sundays, uh, as we consider uh, what that book, a life-giving book, has to say to us um, today. The uh, last couple of weeks, we looked at the fact that we find freedom in, in Jesus, um, that there's a constant battle goes on within us. A battle between good and evil, a battle between God and the devil, a battle that kind of sometimes we're not sure what's going on, but we kind of know that there's something happening, and that battle rages around us. But the world we live in seeks to bring confusion into our lives. We're constantly bombarded with new information and new ways of thinking and new ways of doing things. 
um, like never before. Uh, but often sometimes we feel as if we're on that hamster wheel, um, the hamster wheel of guilt uh, and turmoil um, that we can't step out of. We're so busy that we can't step out to have any time of rest or peace. Um, that there's a, a moment where there's so much confusion that goes on us that we don't know what to do or what's right or what's wrong. Um, but that Sunday we heard that we can rejoice that the hamster wheel can stop. We can step out of that and we can know peace in the risen Christ. And last week we thought about life and life in all of its fullness. Um, the fact that the, whenever we're in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for us. We find fulfillment and choice whenever we choose Jesus. So as we come to this passage today, let's just pause a moment and pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are and all you've done for us. We thank you for your life-giving word. And in this moment, we pray that your word would breathe new life into the very depths of our being, that we would know you afresh and anew today like never before. In your name. So that Bible passage that we heard read today starts with these verses. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And that resonates actually with some of the promises um, that Sven and Kieran made today, whenever they rejected the devil in all proud rebellion, all sin and rebellion, and they turn to Christ. Um, there's a sense there that sin's that kind of, it's only a word we hear from a preacher these days, isn't it? It's not something you hear um, whenever you're standing in the queue for the co-op and buying your milk or your bread, is it? Um, but sin, uh, biblical understanding of sin, it's anything that we think, say, or do that displeases God. Uh, and so it's the things that we do that we know that we do, but we know we shouldn't do, but we do them because we know we shouldn't do them, but we don't do them because we know we should do them, but we do them anyway because we can't stop doing them even though we know we should have done them, but we shouldn't have done them, but we do do them. And the confusion reigns. Um, and that was from a couple of Sundays ago whenever we looked at that passage where Paul seemed to be going around in circles as he said those things. And so sometimes that's really what those verses are saying is that there's things in our lives that we know we shouldn't do, but we continue to do them. And whenever we continue to do them, we feel guilty about doing them. And whenever we feel guilty about doing them, it lowers our mood. Uh, and then actually sometimes we return back to doing them because the things that we know we shouldn't have been doing are the things that bring us the instantaneous joy in our lives and so we do them so we can pick ourselves back up again and then we feel the guilt again and so the cycle continues and the good news comes in verse 14 because it says because those who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god now whenever it says sons the greek is not gender specific there it means children of god and those who are led by the spirit are children of god and so if we cast our eyes towards God, like those binoculars, if we turn them around the right way and we allow the focus to magnify God, if we allow our focus to lift our praise to Him and magnify Him, then things shift and change within us. If we give our lives to Jesus, we are called a child of His, a son or a daughter of the Most High. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a special thing. It's a beautiful thing. We are adopted into his family. Verse 15, and it's the key verse to all of this passage, says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You did not receive a spirit again to fear. 
one of the things I've done over the last number of weeks is asked questions, if you like. And the question today is, hands up if you'd like to feel afraid. Nobody. Nobody. We don't want to be afraid. Sure we don't. We don't want that spirit of fear to be in us. It's not something that we welcome. It's something that we push away. It's something that we bulk against. It's something that we will work with all of our being to ensure that we are not fearful. In fact, we will not get into a plane and open the door with a parachute on if we're scared of heights. It just doesn't make sense. You'll never get the person who's afraid of that into a plane to do that. Try telling a person who's afraid of a spider that all they have to do is go over and kill it. No chance. So fear is one of those things that we don't welcome and we don't want in our lives. But we also know that fear can be a positive thing. So the fear of being too close to the edge of a cliff is actually quite a good thing because it means we're not going to fall off. We teach our children fear that we don't touch a fire whenever it's burning hot because they're going to get burnt. And so that element of fear that is spoken of here is that fear that overwhelms us to a point where we feel captive by it. We're almost constrained by it and we're held tight by it and it begins to control our lives. So what are you fearful of today? What is the thing that scares you so much that grips you by fear that it's holding you captive? Because that's what this passage is about. It's about saying we no longer need to be held captive by those moments that grip us in our fear where we cannot move from the spot that we're on. Because if we know Jesus, if we realize what he has done for us, that his life, his death, and his resurrection on a cross means that we can be free means that we can be a son or a daughter of his. If we receive the forgiveness that flows from the cross of Calvary, we accept him as saviour, then we're no longer held captive by that fear. Well, humanly speaking, sometimes we still can be. (laughs) But we don't need to be because he sets us free. We can step off that hamster wheel. But you receive the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Our psalm today, which was appointed for today and set out for today, is Psalm 139. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Lord knows us full well. He even knows the hairs that are upon our head. He knows the days that are before us, even before one of them has come to be. He knows the potential that is contained within Finn, even though we hope for it look for it, desire it. We can't quite see it yet. His personality is growing. It's coming to life. We begin, (laughs) they're nodding their heads going, yeah, we can definitely see the personality coming. Um, But yet we can't see what that personality will grow into in all of its fullness. But yet the psalm that we read today tells us that God already knows those things. And so we cry, Abba, Father. Abba literally means daddy. If it was written in Ulster Scots, it would be da. It would. It's that moment of intimacy between a father and a child where the child will say, Daddy, come quick, I've hurt myself. Or a teenage girl might look and say, 
Well, you could have walked out, so I was using you as an example. Um, for a teenage, <laughs> <laughs> teenage girl might look and say, Daddy, I'm going out with my friends. Is there any chance of some money? <laughs> or was she might cheek back whenever her dad's at the front. Um, but it's that intimacy, isn't it, between a child and a father where they know they can say daddy. They can request things freely. And actually this scripture is telling us that whenever we are adopted into God's family, whenever we receive that spirit that he is giving to us because we accept him as Savior, then we can come to the Lord God Almighty the Father of all heavens, all those big titles that we give to him, and we can say, Daddy. In that moment, we can be intimate with our Heavenly Father. And the fear that grips us and holds us begins to diminish a little bit because we realize that the strength of the fear that has gripped us is nothing in comparison to our great big God. He's higher than a skyscraper. He's deeper than a submarine. He's wider than the universe. And he's beyond our wildest dreams. And in those moments, we get a new glimpse of who our daddy, our heavenly father really is. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs and co-heirs of God with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we almost also may share in his glory. Heirs and co-heirs with Christ. An heir is someone who receives something that they don't necessarily work for, isn't it? So often we imagine that inheritance moment whenever we hear the word heir, don't we? You know, we receive an inheritance from somebody else whether that's a parent, a grandparent, or a friend, or whatever, we receive an inheritance from them given to us. We've done nothing for it, but it's given to us. And then we can rejoice and enjoy it. That's what it's saying here, that we are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ in the fullness of who he is and all that God has given to him. We can have that too. And he goes on to talk about, he considers the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Even creation groans and waits in eager expectation for what is yet to come. Even the creation knows that this is not all that there is. And if you hear nothing else from today, from all that has been said, sung, or done today, I, I would really love you to hear this. This is not all that there is. I'm, personally, I'm really glad that this is not all that there is. There is actually far more and far better than this transitory life. Good as it might be, wonderful as it might be, as we share relationships with other people, as we share love, as we grow families, as all those things. But this is not all that there is. There's so much more. Because the God that we worship is a great big God. Ephesians 3 tells us that actually even though we think, say, or even dare to imagine, he's immeasurably more than all of that. This is not all that there is. But yet sometimes we live as if it is, don't we? 
We live as if this is it. Everything that we can accumulate and look out for and achieve, that's what's going to bring us success. That's what's going to give us notoriety. That's what our inheritance is going to be. The scriptures teach us that from dust we came and from dust we shall return. In one of my first, in my first parish, uh, we had a graveyard beside the church. It surrounded the church, actually. And often there was a wee man um, who came and sat on the wall uh, of that graveyard and waited for people to pass so he could talk to them. Um, uh, nearly every time that he was sitting there and I walked past him and had a conversation with him, he, he used the same phrase, either at the start or at the beginning, start of the beginning, start of the end of the conversation. And it always went something like this. He always pointed and looked over the wall. He said, back there. There ain't no point in being the richest guy in there, is there? And he was right. He lived a very humble, simple life. But his influence was immeasurable. Because as I observed over the years that we were there, the number of people that would even have stopped a car and screwed down the window to have a conversation with him, the number of people that have picked him up on the road and drove him home because he didn't own a car. And those who didn't dismiss him were the ones who gained the most. He didn't have a lot of care for his earthly possessions or for the success or the notoriety that he might have. But he certainly loved to invest in other people. He knew his purpose. He knew the reason that he was there. And he loved Jesus. And he knew the Bible better than me. Which was challenging sometimes after you'd preached a sermon. And you would get a little hint at the door. With, well now, if you'd have been reading such and such, you might have been able to add that a little bit more. Um, But he knew that this life was not all that there was. That there was so much more for him. As he changed his focus, lifted his gaze towards heaven and knew that he was a son of the Most High. Knew that this transitory life would end one day and that a place in heaven was secure for him where he might rejoice with the angels. And God himself. As Paul finishes this bit that we read today, he talks about hope. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? We hope for what we do not yet have, and we wait for it patiently. So much truth in that, isn't there? We don't hope for the things that we already have. We've bought a brand new iPhone. We don't hope for the iPhone because we've got it. Buy a brand new BMW or Mercedes. We don't hope for it because we already have it. If we're in relationships with other people and those relationships are good, we don't crave and desire strong relationships because we already have them. We don't hope for the things that we have because we already have them. But we hope for what we do not yet have. 
We hope for the things that are yet not in this life. We hope for the so much more, the immeasurably more that God brings to us right here, right now. And we hold out that hope. We receive the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption. We receive the freedom that he brings and we step forward knowing that he is with us. Because this is not all that there is. There's so much more still to come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that there is so much more still to come and in our human minds and human understanding we can't quite grasp that. So help us. Help us to see you clearly today. Help us to know your presence with us and as your spirit has been stirring in our hearts and our minds today, help us to clear the confusion or the fear from around us. To know you as our Savior and Lord, that we might walk with you and talk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close and conclude today by using that verse from Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 3 and verse 20. To the God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, seek, or would even dare to imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen.